Hello, and welcome to the History of Egypt podcast. This is Jonathan Adley from the History of the Copts podcast. The History of the Copts is a history of the people of Egypt under Roman, Byzantine, and then Islamic rule. The age of Egypt as an independent political unit has ended with Cleopatra, but its people continue to play their part in the history of the world. The interactions between the native Christian population of Egypt and the newly arrived caliphate armies is a history worth telling. Crusaders, Mongols, and even French armies under Napoleon have all had their stories with Egypt, which the history of the Copts will tell. Thank you, and I hope you enjoyed this excellent episode from Dominic Berry and the History of Egypt podcast. Hello everyone, and welcome to the History of Egypt podcast, episode 101, Hapu's Son. Today we have a unique story of a genuinely remarkable life. It is a tale of perseverance, of late blooming, and how an elderly scribe with little official power became one of the most influential and significant figures in his society. This is the story of Amunhotep, the son of Hapu, a counsellor of the pharaoh who, at the ripe old age of 80, became one of the most celebrated people in Egyptian history. It is a story of a life well lived. This episode was supported by Cyrus, who donated, and by Francesca and Skye, who became the first patrons of the podcast. Cyrus, Francesca, Skye, thank you for your generosity. You keep the show going and help me on the path of growth. Thank you kindly. May Horus, Lord of the Great Black, ruler of Athribis, bring prosperity and ma'at to your community. Long ago at the Temple of Karnak, Worshippers from all walks of life came to make offerings to the gods. They brought food like bread, meat, or fruits on small dishes, and drank beer or wine in tiny vessels. The wealthy, perhaps, brought incense, small cones of sweet-smelling spice, to burn at the altars of the great. For nearly 2,000 years, the gateways of Karnak were a hive of pious activity, as the common folk of Thebes made their offerings at the city's greatest temple. Of course, only a select few were allowed inside the temple itself. Members of the royal family, priests of the great cults, a few honoured officials. The gateways were closed to the ordinary folk, the dusty hoi polloi of Egyptian society. But still, people came to worship at the gates of the complex. Before the towering pylons, ordinary men and women made offerings to statues that had been erected outside. Some of these statues were forgotten, prominent in their day, but now relegated to history. Others were more enduring. If you had gone to Karnak around 1000 BCE, you would have seen statues that were almost 400 years old. One set in particular depicted a man of the 18th dynasty seated on a pedestal in the manner of a scribe. 
Made of polished granite and exquisite carving, these statues were often decorated with garlands of flowers. Worshippers placed wreaths on the statues, bowls of food and drink in their lap, and tiny cones of incense at the base. Making their offerings, pilgrims would request favours from the divine image. The smooth, impassive faces of the statues looked on. These images depict a famous man, perhaps the greatest non-royal individual of his time. Certainly he is the most enduring. The statues reveal a man whose name and fame lasted for more than a thousand years, and were the subject of worship by many pious individuals. Who was this man? Allow me to introduce the greatest Egyptian of the 18th dynasty. A counsellor, a sage, a lord of scribes, and a builder of great monuments. His name was Amunhotep, the son of Hapu. We haven't met Amunhotep, son of Hapu, in depth yet, but he has been around for some time. In the background of the past 10 episodes and 30 years of history, Amunhotep Hapu has been working quietly in service to his king. A wise man, a counsellor, he is a figure of surpassing achievement and excellence. In life and in death, he achieved some extraordinary things and enjoyed a wonderful reputation. Our story begins with a birth. Amunhotep, the son of Hapu, was born around 1450 BCE, under the majesty of Menkepere Tutmose III. He was born to a respectable but minor family. His father, Hapu, was a dignitary, or Saab. His mother, Itu, was a lady of the house, or Nebet Per. Collectively, the family lived in a town called hut or Estate of Horus's Heart. Today, we know this town as Athribis, a small community on the eastern edge of the Nile Delta. So Amunhotep Hapu was born in the north of Egypt at a time of great prosperity. Although his family was minor in the grand scheme of things, they were still wealthy enough to afford a comfortable existence, and Amunhotep Hapu could be assured of a stable, predictable life in the lower ranks of the Egyptian government. Naturally, Amunhotep Hapu was destined for the job of a scribe. From an early age, he learned hieroglyphic writing and the skills of mathematics, accounting, and composition. Learning from scribal masters, Amunhotep Hapu picked up the skills that he would need as a member of the provincial government. His early life must have seemed quiet, even mediocre at times, Athribis was a sleepy, rural community. Working in the region, his life was unremarkable at best. And that might have been the end of the story, if not for a curious twist of fate. For fifty years, the scribe worked in his hometown, living a comfortable but unremarkable life. He managed accounts, oversaw affairs, and occasionally dealt with the business of local institutions like temples. This might have been the end of his story. He was born, he grew, he prospered, and died. But somehow, time carried on. Year by year, our man remained healthy and hale. His friends reached the limit of their earthly existence and passed away. Amunhotep Hapu, though, 
continued to serve Pharaoh. As you can imagine, people noticed this unusual longevity. In a world where the average life expectancy was 40 at best, a man of 50 who was healthy and strong was clearly a man worth noting. Surely, the scribe was being preserved for some great purpose, or rewarded for some great wisdom. As the years and his experience grew, Amunhotep Hapu found himself attaining something like fame. Fifty years after his birth, the scribe finally got his big break. Around 1400 BCE, a new pharaoh came to power, Neb Ma'atre Amunhotep III. The new king arose in Thebes, where, guided by his mother and courtiers, he began to establish a new regime. Soon enough, the young king was sailing north for the palace at Memphis. Amunhotep III was just 12 years old at the time of his coronation. As you can imagine, such a young ruler might have been a bit of a problem. Authority and power were in the hands of a child, and for the government to flourish, wisdom and experience were needed for guidance. This, perhaps, is where our minor provincial scribe got his chance. Somewhere among the new courtiers was a person who knew about Amunhotep, son of Hapu. For whatever reason, perhaps friendly support, nepotism, or genuine belief, the anonymous individual convinced the new pharaoh that Amunhotep Hapu would be a good man to have at court. In the first year of Neb Ma'atre's reign, the minor provincial scribe was invited to the palace at Memphis. By the age of 50, Amunhotep Hapu had already lived a full life, and chances are he was comfortable at his provincial home. If he still worked as a scribe, it was surely limited. If he had a wife, children, and grandchildren, he probably spent time with them and managed his household. Then again, maybe he was bored and needed a change. Whatever the reason, the 50-year-old Amunhotep Hapu got off his mat, stretched his limbs, and obeyed the summons to the court. I wonder what he thought as he stepped off the boat into the royal city. Was he expecting to perhaps receive an endowment for his retirement, or praises for a life well lived and service given to the state? I highly doubt that he expected what was coming next. Amunhotep Hapu arrived at the palace of Pharaoh and found himself being given a new job. The new king and his mother, Queen Mut Emweer, were going to award this scribe with a position that he could never have dreamed of before. They were inviting him to the ranks of the royal entourage and service with the king himself. Amunhotep Hapu was now given the august title of Sesh Nesu Heri Tep F, aka the king's scribe under his authority. In other words, Amunhotep Hapu became a secretary and attendant to the pharaoh himself. This was one heck of a promotion. Amunhotep's rise from middle rank to high influence was stunningly quick, literally an overnight transformation. One day he arrived at the palace, a low-ranked scribe from the minor towns. The next, he was donning the symbols of a royal companion. For some reason, Amunhotep Hapu won the Egyptian equivalent of the lottery. 
Our man doesn't explain why he was chosen, but I think we can assume it was a combination of his age and experience, and the relative youth of the new pharaoh. With the wisdom of his years, and the opportunity to guide a young and up-and-coming ruler, Amunhotep Hapu may have seemed like a great candidate for a royal advisor. So Amunhotep Hapu doesn't give us much information about his credentials, but he does explain the process by which he was promoted. As he does so, he gives us a hint of some of the secret workings of the palace and the advisors who were close to the king. Quote, the good god, the king of Upper and Lower Egypt, Neb Ma'at Re, the eldest son of Horakti, favoured me. I was appointed as king's scribe under his personal authority. I entered into the sacred books, I was equipped with their secrets, and I revealed all their mysteries. I saw the effective deeds of Thoth. Advice was taken from me regarding all matters. End quote. In 1400 BCE, regnal year one of Neb Ma'atre, the scribe Amunhotep Hapu became an advisor, secretary, and confidant of the king. This was a privileged posting, bringing him into contact with the powerful, the august, and the divine. In particular, it brought him in touch with the hidden world of royal religious ceremony. Amunhotep Hapu was inducted into the privileged secret knowledge of the royal cult. He was permitted to read divine texts and to learn the rituals of great gods. Of course, he gives us zero details of these documents. That is not for commoners to know. Which leaves a tantalizing question mark in his life. What kind of rituals and ideas did he gain access to? What kinds of deeds were remembered as the effective deeds of Thoth? And what, pray tell, were the mysteries of these secret documents? We don't have a firm answer to that question, but if I had to guess, I would say that Amunhotep Hapu was inducted into the mysteries of sacred texts like the Book of the Dead, the Book of Gates, the Book of the Celestial Cow, and perhaps some of the great myths of the Egyptian gods. There are many rituals and stories which we don't really know about. We have traces of them in the literature and tomb scenes, but we don't have a complete picture of what they involved. It's possible, though speculative, that Amunhotep Hapu was given some education in these religious texts. It's hard to know exactly what the purpose of that would be, unless he was intended to be giving advice to the young pharaoh. After all, the king was going to be leading rituals and worship. It would help to have a man on hand who could teach him the ways of doing things. So I don't want to say for certain what sacred texts Amunhotep Hapu was given access to, but I'd be willing to bet that they had something to do with the temple rituals and the sacred offering rites which the pharaoh might be expected to perform. After all, the scribe was the king's personal assistant. At the age of 50, Amunhotep Hapu was the secretary to a 12-year-old pharaoh. With such a promotion, and the perks that came along with it, you might be justified in saying that his life, or at least his career, truly began at this age. It seems strange to talk about life beginning at 50, considering that I am only 30 years old, but I guess today that idea has a lot of currency. For Amunhotep Hapu, Decades of low-level service suddenly transitioned to the big leagues. From a certain point of view, 
Amenhotep Hapu is the ultimate late bloomer of ancient Egypt. As a secretary, he went to work on the pharaoh's projects. To begin with, he worked on gathering men together. The scribe tells us how he, quote, raised the troops of my lord in a quantity of millions. With monuments planned all across Egypt, the state needed workers. Well, Amunhotep Hapu made that happen, and along the way, he and his labourers achieved some truly spectacular things. This is where the remarkable achievements of Amunhotep Hapu begin. In the age of Neb Ma'atre, thousands of workmen toiled across Egypt to build mighty temples, secluded shrines, and immense statues. These were designed to glorify the great gods and the mighty pharaoh himself. This work drew on resources from all over Egypt. At the heart of this bustling hive of activity, Amunhotep Hapu was one of the king's major assistants. Among other things, Amunhotep Hapu oversaw the quarrying, erection, and sculpting of the king's great statues. These images, carved in Pharaoh's likeness, would adorn the great temples and ensure that his name and visage endured in the sight of gods and humans. Of course, statues were a dime a dozen, but these? These were not any old statues. These were THE statues. Quote, I acted with the love of my heart in my controlling of the king's likeness in this his great temple. I controlled the work of his majesty's statues, which were greater of width and height than even his columns. The statue's beauty eclipsed even the pylon, and their height was forty cubits, erected in the noble mountain of sandstone. End quote. The statues were 40 cubits long, about 18 metres high. This is a close match with the magnificent Colossi of Memnon, the vast statues erected at the gateway of Pharaoh's mortuary temple. It seems that Amunhotep Hapu, scribe, counsellor, and overseer of works, is the man responsible for organising these enormous, enduring statues. If that is true, then he is perhaps the greatest architect since the days of Hemiunu or Imhotep, the builders of the Pyramid Age. The Colossi of Memnon are a staggering achievement, for our protagonist, and for the labourers who made it happen. Such a great project took time, of course. Quarrying statues that large is not an overnight thing. But eventually, the blocks were removed safely from their quarry. Then... Amunhotep Hapu organised their carriage from a city in the north all the way upriver to Thebes. This was a complicated affair. Quote, I constructed boats and travelled southward to the temple. The statues were established in this great temple, firm like heaven. This project is my fame. For you who come after us, the monuments are resting in their place forever. The whole army, all together, were under my supervision, and they acted with great joy of their hearts, shouting and applauding the good God. They moored at Thebes, shouting in joy. End quote. As we know, Egyptian boasting doesn't always match up with reality. But for once, the rhetoric is accurate. The Colossi of Memnon remain in place, right where Amunhotep Hapu and his troops erected them. 
From that first moment of rejoicing in Thebes, to the busloads of tourists that snap photos today, the Colossi of Memnon are an enduring testament, in their place forever. In between visits to the quarries and the construction site, Amunhotep Hapu still found time to attend to his king. As Pharaoh's secretary, he took dictation, recorded decrees, and advised on policies. The great ruler, Neb Ma'ad Re, kept his counsellor close and listened to him attentively on many issues. These were the salad days of Amunhotep Hapu's life, respected, attended, and sought after in council. Among the courtiers, he was probably without equal. Among the king's friends, he was in the top tier. He tells us of this prestige in glowing, boastful terms. Quote, I am a unique one who is promoted on account of the excellence of his counsels, one whom the king distinguishes from his peers, one who truly enters the thoughts of his lord. End quote. Amunhotep Hapu goes on at great length about his good advice, about his pharaoh's esteem, and the excellence of his personal conduct. It seems a bit much, but I guess it's understandable. This was the whole reason for his advancement to high status. Pharaoh's praise must have been important to him personally. But Amunhotep Hapu doesn't give us many details about what his advice actually was. So, what can we tell about the famous counsellor's great words? The details of Amunhotep Hapu's service are murky, but he does reveal a couple of themes to his advice. Reading between the lines, we can get a sense of how he viewed the world and what he told the pharaoh of Egypt. If those views and words can be summarised briefly, I would call them traditionalism. Amunhotep Hapu really emphasises his advice as being part of the legacy of his ancestors. He explicitly repudiates any sense of reformation. He worships what has come before, and he never strays from the established path. Apparently, all Amunhotep ever needed for inspiration was to look to the past. Quote, I am one who enters during the day, every day, into every project. One who is not able to overturn anything that has been done since the first occasion of time. End quote. Amunhotep Hapu presents himself as a man on the straight and narrow. He never deviates from the established tradition. He never branches out or innovates into something new. Maybe that's not so incredible. The old ways, the trusted ways, may have been the very best that he knew of. At the age of 60-plus, Amunhotep Hapu was probably set in his ways. Perhaps that's exactly what the pharaoh wanted. Egyptians were fond of their own past. A key part of the royal identity was its legacy, and a pharaoh like Amunhotep III was the very essence of traditional. The king looked to the ancestors for inspiration, and the artistry of this time seems to celebrate all things ancient. The great counsellor Amunhotep Hapu may have helped his pharaoh to emphasise some of that traditionalism. In 1370 BCE, pharaoh Amunhotep III celebrated his said festival. 
he was 42 years old, and over three decades, his regime had accomplished wonders. Of course, most of those achievements were down to the hard work by thousands upon thousands of men and women who laboured in difficult conditions to produce colossal and enduring monuments. Then there was the work of the leaders, foremen, overseers and officials who organised and supplied the projects from a thousand and one different sources. In the year of the said festival, the royal scribe Amunhotep son of Hapu was 80 years old. Not only was this incredibly rare, disease or accident taking most people by the age of 45, it was also a badge of honour. Of all the people in Egypt, Amunhotep Hapu was the oldest, his memory extended further than any other man, and his experience in all things was surely the greatest. As you can imagine, Amunhotep Hapu was immensely proud of the achievement he had done by living so long. When it came time to write his autobiography on the many statues which survive of him, the king's scribe spoke of his age with totally grandiose terms. Quote, My reputation, it testifies to that which is done for me in the presence of everyone. The one who sees me, he wishes to be like me, because of the greatness of that which has happened to me. This is proof of Ma'at in old age. I have reached eighty years, great of favour from the king, and I will complete one hundred and ten years. I am one who is true. End quote. Amunhotep Hapu was the definition of an elder statesman. His experience surpassed that of anyone else in the court. So it was probably natural that when planning the said festival, the pharaoh tapped Amunhotep Hapu to oversee the preparations. Apart from the many practical concerns, food, drink, tools, and space, there were the sacred religious concerns. Rituals had to be enacted, and sacred speeches recited before the great gods. When it came to orchestrating a sacred festival, who better than the country's oldest advisor to lead that process? For 30 years, the royal scribe Amunhotep Hapu had been an initiate of sacred knowledge. I spoke about this earlier, when we learned that the scribe, quote, entered into the sacred books and revealed all their mysteries. As a member of the royal household and the clergy, Amunhotep Hapu had access to the most secretive texts. Add to that his advanced age and his experience, and the royal scribe, 80 years old, was clearly the most qualified of candidates. So the pharaoh did what you would expect. He promoted Amunhotep Hapu to the role of Shesmu Hebu and Imen, the leader of festivals of Amun. Being a Theban celebration, the said festival occurred under Amun's gaze, and Amunhotep Hapu, named for the god, took charge of the affairs. His work was exemplary. As we saw in episode 100, the celebrations for King Amunhotep III are among the most spectacular and well-documented of any said festival in history. Over 3,000 years, just three major said fests survive in text or visual form, and out of those, Amunhotep III surely has the grandest of all. The many rituals, the elaborate celebrations, may have been largely orchestrated by the aging scribe Amunhotep the son of Hapu. 
It was his crowning achievement in a now illustrious career. On one of his many statues, the scribe gives traces of the esteem which he enjoyed at this moment. Quote, I have acted as royal messenger of his majesty, bringing to him the people of Thebes for the royal estate, in order to make it pure forever for Amun, lord of the thrones of the two lands. I did this for the first said festival of his majesty. The king placed me to record the estate of Amun, and I set up the Wab priests, that is, the purified ones. The king then appointed me as leader of festivals of Amun for all of his festivals, and I provided all of his provisions every single day. End quote. As you can imagine, Amunhotep Hapu was incredibly proud of these great achievements that he was given the privilege to participate in. He speaks at great length of his various titles, epithets, and the great esteem in which the pharaoh of Egypt held him. He tells us how he was, quote, great in the king's sight, or that everything I performed was beloved of the people and favoured by the gods. These sort of commendations, written to himself, give us a sense that Amunhotep Hapu was, on the one hand, incredibly popular or respected at the court, but also that he considered the pharaoh's affection and patronage to be the most important component of his entire career. This makes sense in the incredibly centralised power structure of the ancient Egyptian court. All influence, all strength, ultimately flowed from the pharaoh, and the degree to which a courtier or official was close and respected by the king could greatly influence their fortunes and success in life. Amunhotep sums up this kind of power dynamic by a very simple statement. He says, quote, My lord promoted my affairs. People say of me, What happened to you? There is no poor man for whom such a thing has been done before. Indeed, Ma'at has been performed for me. I am one who is true. End quote. Amunhotep was in the limelight, both publicly and in private. As the pharaoh celebrated the culmination of three decades in power, Amunhotep Hapu, the king's secretary, was the greatest and most favoured of the royal companions. This was probably the greatest year of this man's life. For some, it was the greatest year in Egyptian history so far. Amunhotep Hapu is the quintessential late bloomer. A man whose life seems to be going relatively predictably, even unremarkably, until, at a late age, he gets an opportunity to truly excel within his community. Whether this choice came to him from a royal power, or if it had simply arisen from the needs of his environment, Amunhotep Hapu was one of those lucky individuals who gets a chance, just after they think such opportunities are gone, to truly make a difference in his world. This is not the end of Amunhotep's story. In fact, we have at least one more episode to explore his great accomplishments and his contributions to life. You see, 
Amonhotep Hapu didn't just serve Pharaoh. Pharaoh also gave back to his most trusted advisor. In the process, King Amunhotep III made his favourite secretary and scribe one of the most enduring names in Egyptian history and even religion. I'm Jane Perlez, longtime foreign correspondent and former Beijing bureau chief for the New York Times. I've been a foreign correspondent in lots of places Somalia, Indonesia, Pakistan, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I mean, China is not dropping anti-democratic paratroopers into Montana. But of course, we did see things like the weather balloon slash spy balloon riveting the whole country for a week. This is Face Off, an eight-part series in which we'll take you behind the scenes to key moments in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. We'll speak with a diplomat, a spy, a tech reporter, a U.S. admiral, even Yo-Yo Ma. Plus, my pal and noted China historian Rana Mitter joins the conversation. We'll look at what's driving the two nations apart and explore whether anything can help bring them back together. Face-Off launches April 9th. If you had visited Karnak Temple as early as 1000 BCE, or as late as the 1st century CE, the Roman period, you would have seen Egyptians of all walks of life making offerings to the statues and name of Amunhotep, the son of Hapu. In fact, by the time the Romans themselves came to dominate Egypt, Amunhotep, the son of Hapu, was being venerated as something close to a god. On an ancient papyrus written down during the early years of Roman rule, a scribe copied down a text that made reference to some very famous men. Quote, to the deceased, your soul comes near to Amunhotep, the royal scribe and scribe of recruits. Additionally, your soul unites with Imhotep while you are in the valley. End quote. Amunhotep the scribe, Amunhotep the son of Hapu, was venerated as a god of healing. Within a few generations of his death, around 1370 BCE, he became the subject of worship and offerings among the common folk of ancient Egypt. The people prayed to Amunhotep for cures and made offerings to him in a number of places throughout the city of Thebes. For the lowly, the non-royal, Amunhotep Hapu was a popular being with all the traits of a demigod. How did this happen? And more importantly, who was this man that he achieved such a phenomenal status? In all of Egyptian history, we know of just two men who were elevated from the status of mortal to the status of god. One of them was Amunhotep Hapu, the other was Imhotep, the legendary architect who built the Steppe Pyramid. What linked these two men in the mind of the ancient Egyptians? And why was it that after 1200 years, Amunhotep the son of Hapu became just the second man to achieve such a divine status? These questions cut to the very heart of Amunhotep's life and his contributions to his society. I will explore these questions more fully in the next episode, along with the help of Dr. Campbell Price, curator of the Egyptian collection at Manchester Museum. Dr. Price is an expert in Egyptian religious practices, specifically those of non-royal, private individuals. 
I sat down with Dr. Price to discuss men like Amunhotep's son of Hapu and Imhotep, who achieved immortality and godhood long after they had died. We also discussed the practices of ordinary Egyptians, how they worshipped, what they tried to achieve, and the many ways in which they made their offerings to the divine realm. Stay tuned for episode 101b, in which Dr. Price and I explore the godhood of certain Egyptian men and the practices of ordinary people in life. is like the ocean. It's alluring, but it's also full of deadly creatures that can shred you to pieces. It becomes kind of like a Game of Thrones political arena where everyone's trying to murder you to get your job. My family doesn't come from corporate backgrounds, so I didn't have any sort of guidance in that. This is not your typical work podcast. Sometimes you need to be empathetic, and then there are times that you ask for input, but you don't really give a shit. <laughs> Listen to the Ambi Award-nominated podcast, Surfing Corporate. Stretch opportunity? What is this, yoga class? Get out of here. <laughs>